0: Excellent. So, um, this is a good week for Kiralee to be here because I'm not going to talk for a long time. No. and Because Kiralee doesn't survive long times. Because Kiralee has recently broken her back, if you didn't know that.
1: Not super recently. Not
0: super recently, but Kiralee's still a bit not able to sit for long times. So, I'm thrilled that you're here though, Kiralee. So I'd like to start with a uh, Bible verse because we're taking a short break, kind of with the portraits of a violent God and how do we interpret that in, in light of what we know about Jesus. We're kind of doing that two weeks on and then two weeks off, if you hadn't noticed that. Otherwise, it can just be a little bit overwhelming because uh, they're kind of long and theological. So we're having a break. So I'm going to read from Romans 12, a very well-known uh, couple of verses here. Read you a quote. Um, it's from Brian Zahn's book *Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God*. But the quote is actually from the foreword from the, the um, a guy named Paul Young who wrote *The Shack*. I don't know. It was a pretty popular book a while yeah. back. It's now a movie. That's yeah. also now a movie, apparently. I don't know. Uh, but I want to read a quote that he said that I found particularly enjoyable. He says, "If transformation is by the renewal of the mind." and I have never changed my mind, then be assured I am actively resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Everyone who grows changes. The, uh, the couple lines before this, I probably should have copied and pasted them in here as well. He talks about how every preacher and every author and everyone who ever teaches, they always get to a point eventually where they regret something that they taught or wrote or <laughs> preached. That has um, not happen to you. Of course not. <laughs> I have just been the mouthpiece of God. Since the moment I took the pulpit, I have spoken truth and never erred from that. But isn't that the sad reality? Because there are some people whose theology and idea or picture of God hasn't changed since they were a teenager. Uh, so they were given something as a teenager, largely, and they were taught that this is how God looks. And they have held on to that idea even arrogantly and and, and aggressively because it's true and it's, and it becomes this dogma that they live by and then you you fast forward 10 years or 15 years and they have exactly the same pictures, the, exactly the same ideas and I think, well, what a tragedy because if we are being renewed and transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we have to change some of the things that we are thinking and doing. Back in 2012, some of you will remember I wrote a... Uh, an article that caused some controversy. And it was at that time I wrote a series of questions that related to this passage. And I just want to read you those questions now because I think that five years on, they're just as relevant. Um, the first one was, how far back do I have to go? Sorry, how far back do I? How far do I have to go back to say I am different now compared to then? Am I the same person today that I was a year ago and a decade ago? When was the last time my mind was transformed? What area of my life has been transformed? Not just my mind, but my actions or my attitudes and behavior. What motivated or caused the change? A sermon or a relationship or an epiphany or a tragedy? What was helpful to me during the process of transformation? Accountability or encouragement or community or a particular resource or what was helpful whilst I was being transformed. And if I'm not there yet, what will it look like when I arrive? What small step can I take today to live a transformed life? Because I think some transformation is like, you get there and you're like, wow, I didn't expect to be here. I know for myself there are some things that I now hold very dearly as truth, that I didn't expect 10 or 15 years ago that would ever be the case. I have joked with Jess that when we first met, she was the liberal hippie widow with lots of strange, quirky friends. Uh, and I was the super uptight kind, of, uptight kind of Calvinist, very, very clear, very black and white. And we kind of swung a bit. And now Jess is the conservative. And... It's not, cool. <laughs> it's not entirely true, but...
1: But there's been a huge
0: swing. Um, so there are some of the times when that transformation happens, you don't expect that to happen. But I think for some transformation, there are things and in, in areas in your life and in your thinking and your attitudes where you're like, I know what I want to look like. And I am being transformed to look like that. So it's not just a radical new idea that you would never seen. It's, you know, I want to be more kind. And I'm not. And what's the journey for me to get from where I am to being more kind, to being more compassionate, to being more forgiving to having greater self control whatever it is that we're trying to achieve true spirituality is when our transformed mind leads to a transformed life just having new ideas doesn't change all that much the question is how do those ideas get walked out in your life and uh, so this verse we were just looking at it says do not conform to the pattern of this world you know what is the pattern of the world I think when I when I look at that, the pattern of the world is just the pattern of normal. So it's like when Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowds at the that he's like, well, you've heard an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He's saying, this is the pattern of the world. This is normal. This is what people do. If someone pokes you in the eye, you poke them in the eye back. Um, but he says, that's the pattern of the world. But I tell you to, um, to love your enemies. The pattern of the world is to simply love your family or your nation or your people or your gender or your race or your whatever us and them that you can identify. That's the pattern of the world. It's us and them. And that's just not the pattern of the kingdom of God. And what I really love about this, because I'm going to read through the, the remainder of this section of scripture, is that Paul follows up this idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind with a whole section on how to do community better. Because the idea that you would just grow and be transformed in isolation doesn't make any sense when you look at the early church, when you look at the ministry of Jesus. It's entirely about relationship. It's entirely about connection and community. So when he follows up this idea of saying, don't follow the pattern of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He then says, and here is how you can relate to each other in a way that will encourage that. So I want to jump in now in verse three. It says, for by the grace given me, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil and be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this whole section of scripture is entirely about relationship. Because having a transformed mind or not having a transformed mind has a huge impact on my marriage and on my friendships and on the people that I live with and the community that I'm a part of. And ultimately it then has an impact on the workplace that I'm and it, it flows out the way that we do relationship and intimacy. Do we either follow the pattern of the world when we only serve the us's and, and we hate and persecute the them's? Having a transformed mind impacts all of these areas. Uh, what I want us to do is, I, I would like us to find some Bibles. At least everyone should have a telephone with a Bible. And go to these, this section of Scripture in Romans 12, if you can do that now. A real paper Bible? Wow. Romans
1: 12.
0: And what I'd like us to do, and, maybe, and we'll do this in groups so that everyone has to engage in it in a meaningful way. So find a partner or a trio to work with. And I just want you to read through this section of scripture from Romans 12, 1 down to 21. And I want you to identify the pattern of the world and the pattern of the transformed mind or the pattern of the kingdom of God. So I'll give you an example. At the beginning, it says that uh, very clearly that he urges us, uh, if we go to verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of the world. So this one's really easy because it literally says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. And then it gives the contrast, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that way we get to discern, okay, this is the pattern of the world, this is the pattern of the kingdom. And then it says, you can, you'll can you be able to test and approve what God's will is. Okay, so when we are in conforming to the pattern of the world, we test and approve what is good for us, right? Whereas in the kingdom of God, we test and approve what is good in the kingdom of God and what God approves of. So I just want you to go through and try to find the contrast all the way through. So some other examples. So, like the pattern of the world, you'd be devoted to self. Whereas in this scripture, it says to be devoted to one another in love. Or it says to the pattern of the world, in one section, it says that we should keep our zeal. So the pattern of the world would be to, to lack zeal and spiritual fervor. Whereas the, in the kingdom of God, we want zeal and spiritual fervor. So I just want you to go through it. And for almost every verse, and, uh, so for occasionally, it's kind of like verses four to eight, there's like one idea. But I want you to go through that and just identify the pattern of the world and the pattern of the kingdom. All right, so we are going to quickly run through it together. Does someone want to read through it verse by verse, or we can take it in turns and then we'll quickly comment? Fire it up, Natalie. Go for it. Stop at
1: the end of each verse. Yeah, sure. From verse
0: one. Yeah, that's normally where we start. All right, let's do it.
1: I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We had a question about what bodies it was referring to. Like, was it referring to our, <coughs> our physical bodies or our spiritual bodies or the body
0: of Christ? Probably all of those things would be appropriate. Our bodies. So what is the, what's the reflection on that then? When we think about that in the context of the pattern of the world and the pattern of the kingdom. Yeah. so I reckon that like that last one the, yeah. like how we use our bodies in terms of getting our way I reckon that really fits with the pattern of the world so we don't offer ourselves as a living sacrifice we offer other people as a living sacrifice to get what we want so we stand on them, we take advantage of them we manipulate them, we control them we, so the kingdom of the world the pattern of the world is really the contrast and Paul is saying no 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 don't do that you be the sacrifice. You offer yourself. You be the the servant. Don't be the the controlling element. Yeah. All right, in the interest of not being here forever, though, verse two. Yep, go for it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the
1: renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good,
0: pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, I think we already kind of covered that one as an example the first time around where we just, like, it's pretty self-explanatory. It says literally follow the pattern of the world or follow the pattern of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and, the, and the distinction then is that you either test things according to God's will or you test things according to your own will. Um, all right. You, yep.
1: For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, with the faith god
0: has distributed to each of you again i mean some of these are really self-explanatory because it literally just says there is this way and there is that way i think this is one of those examples you can either think highly of yourself or you can take a sober uh, and honest view of yourself so um
1: but just Yeah. Focus. My thought processes are so. So I think that some of us go, I have low self-esteem. This doesn't apply to me. But actually, I think that if my if my thought processes are all about that, yeah, then I think there is, and there, and in the kingdom, there's an invitation to maybe a better way.
0: Yeah. So it would read, do not think so often of yourself. <laughs> like I think that that's a really good point because we can think awful things about ourselves, but we are still just spending the whole time thinking about us, which is a selfish way of thinking. Yeah, um, yeah that's great. It
1: also doesn't say you shouldn't think good of
0: yourself. No. It just says think more highly. Yeah, so yeah. just be honest in your reflection of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think you should think good crap. No, it's not about self-deprecation. No. No. Correct. Right.
1: And also, I think not like that. Perhaps in the world we're not to compare ourselves with one another, but actually, we are, we are, in a sense, made perfect in Christ, and that's not to blow your head and make it bigger than it is, but let's accept that, that God has recreated us and made us, you know, and we're becoming more like Him. Yeah. body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to
0: all the others. How did you guys interpret that? We need to be in community. Because yeah? It, like, you can't function if you're just an eye, and an eye can't function by itself. And yeah. It's pretty useless by itself. I think all the verses, kind of from four all the way through to verse 8, talk about the distinction between isolating ourselves or being in community, in fellowship with one another, and valuing one another for what we bring instead of comparing... And and, in yeah. So instead of saying, well, some people are better than other people because they do certain functions... I mean, I think we would all agree whoever cooks lunch on a Sunday is probably more important than everyone else. They, they, they can probably think slightly more highly of themselves, but across the board... <laughs> um, it's about saying God has gifted all of us in different ways. But the, for me, the real learning outcome from verse 4 to verse 8 here is to say the pattern of the world is to isolate yourself from other people, especially people who do things differently to you, who have been gifted in different ways to you. But in the kingdom of God, we want to do community. We want to be together. And we need the, the, uh, the distinctive differences that we have in order to be whole and to make a body. Um, so maybe just quickly run through verse 4 to 8 for us again there, Nettie. Yeah. For
1: well, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function so, we, so in Christ we though many, form one body and each member belongs to all others
0: Keep going, yep, all the way to eight
1: We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us If your gift is prophesying, then pros- prophesy in accordance with your faith If it is serving, then serve If it is teaching, then teach If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If
0: it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. That's great. Okay, so we covered that. So now maybe give us verse... Yep. I'm actually underneath really lifting you all up.
1: That's great. Wow. And yep. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good.
0: So the pattern of the world then? Cling to what is evil and hate what is good. Yeah, and have insincere love. In the pattern of the world, people love all sorts of things right. in the most shallow, insincere ways. But we are called to not do that. So the pattern of the world version of that is to be devoted to myself, myself. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, the pattern of the world then is obviously to, to lack zeal um, as opposed to maintaining our spiritual fervor, which is really easy to do. It's, this is an easy one to fall into conformity with. Having fervor in our faith and for our relationship with God and our like, just the working out of our salvation daily, the, the being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's really easy to lose zeal for that. It's easy to get up on the wrong side of the bed or to just be a bit too tired or to not quite have enough today or to come up with a justification for why lacking zeal is appropriate. But that's the pattern of the world. It's not the kingdom of God. But I mean, it's so easy to be bitter and impatient and angry, especially patient in affliction. Like this is not being written to a group of people when they think affliction is not getting the car park they want or affliction is, you know, being forced to bake a cake for someone they don't like or affliction is. This is people who are literally being flayed and tortured and hunted. And these are people who are meeting in secret. These are people who are like they are being told, be patient in your affliction. And I think the church is sorely lacking in patience in our affliction. And we're very quick to be angry that our rights are violated and that we're no longer allowed to pass judgment and control people, you know, like we used to be able to. And like this is a real the conformity to the pattern of the world is so easy to see here. But as citizens in a different kingdom, we are told to be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Yeah. Practising hospitality is hard. (coughs) It's hard to be generous. It's hard to invite people in. But that's what it is to not conform to the pattern of the world. If only the church would listen to this throughout history. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's pretty self-explanatory. Just... Rejoice with those
1: who rejoice. Mourn with
0: those who mourn. This one, I think, is really... it. When you think about this in the... Um, as the the contrast you know in the kingdom of god we are told to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn but in there is something about the pattern of the world where we are jealous of those who rejoice and that we actually find joy in people's suffering or when things go wrong or when things don't work out the way they want we are programmed to do that even watching television you know like like you are manipulated if you watch bachelor or or, um survivor or whatever, you're manipulated by the director of the show to hate certain people and like certain people and to find joy in the downfall of certain people and you know what I mean, like like, and that's a really tacky example but we do it in normal life. That's why I
1: like mastership. <laughs> <laughs> They're good at encouragement, aren't but they? But
0: the co- we conform to the pattern of the world. Like <laughs> I reckon the judges have a spiritual
1: gift of encouragement. They're so lovely.
0: But we don't always take joy in other people's joy and we don't always mourn with those who mourn and we we need to get that right.
1: Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing
0: to associate with people low Do not be This is Sundays here at the White House, hanging out with all you low folks. <laughs> yeah, they're coming to hang out with us. Live in harmony with one another. Sometimes um, I think we often live in discord and we're proud and we don't want to hang out with people of low position or that give us nothing. The idea of low position doesn't just mean people who are homeless or people who are poor or people of low position. It means people who can't build your self-esteem or people who can't give you what you want or get you in life where you want to go or people that you can't manipulate or control in some way to get what you want. Because in the world, people try to set themselves up so the people that they're with get them to the place that they want to go. And that's not what the kingdom of God is like. Do not repay
1: anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is
0: right in the eyes of everyone. Again, that's pretty self-explanatory. In the pattern of the world, we too repay evil with evil. And we do it in a proud way and we do it in a way where we feel... Like we've done the right thing. You know, to get good petty vengeance on someone, you feel like you've had a victory. That's not what it's like in the kingdom of God.
1: What does it mean by be careful to do what is right in the United everyone?
0: Like? It means that you should live in such a way that you aren't leaving, like people aren't confused. Like huh? Yeah, living about reproach. You don't want to make people stumble. You don't want to like, it's just about saying, even even to the extent that you could live in a way that is righteous, try to live in a way that is righteous, that encourages others and doesn't confuse people. It doesn't, um, where did it go? It ties in very tightly with the next verse as well, where it then says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So it's saying, a part of our public witness, part of the way that we engage with the world, is to is to live in a way that you know, is, looks right. Oh, and is right. It's not as simple as just looks right, but is right. Um. I
1: have a question. When he's referring to, lots, like, lots of the times throughout the passage he's talking about one another
0: and everybody. Like is he... Is he... In every situation... He's talking about the church. He's just talking about the church. In this section of scripture, he is talking about... it. Well, here, he's not. In this verse, he broadens it. So at the beginning, he's talking about the body and how we relate to one another. And now it's getting wider. Because eventually, he's talking about don't repay evil for evil. He's talking about your enemies. Um, you know, like if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Like that's not your church. You know, like I would hope to think that even at our worst of times, we're not enemies. Um, so he starts out and it's very insular and then he's getting and the circle gets wider as the scripture goes on. So I would say by the point we're at now where he's talking about don't repay evil for evil or bless those who persecute you in verse 14 even from that point onwards so verse 13 he says share with the Lord's people who are in need yeah. and practice hospitality and then he goes out bless that those that who persecute verse 13, you. He's saying just be hospitable to God, I think you? there are a lot of places in scripture where it says we should be hospitable beyond that for instance, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. But at that point, he's saying, yeah, don't neglect the people who God has given you responsibility for. But can't we
1: just apply a different hermeneutic and call God's people
0: all people? Well, that's why I think later he's like, and just in case you're really thick, when your enemy is hungry, feed them. So he's like, he's like saying, there is no one that is being left outside of this mandate to be loving and compassionate and kind and...
1: Can you just write one verse and just say, feed everyone
0: regardless of Well, but then we we read it with the conformity to the world and we read it and we go yeah yeah everyone is us not them. That's what we've done all throughout history. So Jesus said the same thing. It's why he makes a point of saying, no no no, the most extreme version of this is you have people who you hate, love them, feed them, serve them. So he's like that's to me it's he's trying to avoid any confusion here. The people who are trying to hunt you down and kill you, feed them
1: encourage them and teach them and lead them and prophesy to them and
0: no I would say that he's that's a mandate he's saying to the church but don't they I don't think do it's the responsibility well. of the church to encourage or lead or, or maybe encourage or mandate or teach or until someone is part of that fellowship I don't think we have a right to just go to our enemies and tell them how they should live and teach them but we should go to them when they're hungry and feed them that's how we earn the right to engage with them and to do life with them is we love them and we serve them and then they become part of that body and then we can teach them everything Jesus commanded. Uh, but I think that we need to do the loving and the serving way before we do the teaching. Hmm? That seems to be how
1: all the best like, foreign missionaries work is with kindness first. Yeah. Like somebody said, you know, um, you must always tell people about Jesus necessary. Use, Use
0: words, words, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where we're up to, Nadia. Are you paying attention?
1: Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay
0: Now this one, I mean, this one opens up a theological bag of worms because the the view that we've been holding in the, our last or current series is that God's wrath is not Him stepping in; it's Him stepping back. So that the the consequence of sin is inbuilt into the action. Uh, so, you know, like if you punch the person next to you, they'll probably punch you back. It's already inbuilt. God doesn't need to step in and punish you because the consequence is inbuilt. If you drink lots and abuse your body, you'll probably get sick and and hurt the consequence of your bad choices wrapped in it so what normally happens is god tries to protect us mercifully from the consequence of our choices uh, whereas in this verse here it's like eventually if god feels that by withholding the consequence of your choices is only furthering to harden your heart god will step back and wrath will come in when his protection is removed then the the roaring lion that de- to seeks to devour and destroy will come in uh, isn't
1: that the verse that people are using the to condemn like the fucking mistakes, the hurricanes and things like that, though. It's like God's, that's just the
0: wrath of God. Yep. Yeah, I mean. But I would argue that that's far more likely, that that's just a product of, of living in a sinful world. I don't think that, like, I think that there there would be incidences where you could say God has stepped back and something's happened. But we also live in a universe where there is a cosmic conflict and there is a battle waging between principalities and powers and good agents and bad agents, and stuff just happens. So I don't think that when a person gets cancer, it's because God removed His protection from cancer. I think it's just because our bodies are broken. And I think in some explicit examples you could say this disaster was because God actively stood back, because the Scripture does record that, like the flood. But I don't think that you can then turn that into a universal rule. You can only you can only look at that and say that this is something that can happen. But I wouldn't. I would argue, much as Jess did, that the reason that there are um, you know, hurricanes in America is because every degree that the temperature goes up because of global warming, the air can hold 7% more moisture and it creates all sorts of awful, awful consequences. So the consequence of sin is inbuilt into the very system itself. Because we sin against the earth and we have broken our relationship with creation instead of being good stewards of creation, the consequence of that is that we see more natural disasters. So that isn't God stepping back as so much as it is us. That's just the product of sin. Um, So I don't think that that's God necessarily actively stepping back. Um, That just seems
1: like a nicer way of saying what the other people are saying. That it's still from sin. that
0: that's... Yeah, but I don't think that it's any one people group. I don't think that God says, yeah, I want to smite this house here in this one place in Houston. Yeah, I hate them. I'm going to wipe out the whole... Like, I don't think that's how it works. I think that our, our universe is broken because we have not been good stewards. One of the things that I want to preach about in the next little while, I'll give you a little teaser because I think it's great. Um, Just the idea that when we fall short of the mark, so sin is like an archery, like one of the words for sin characterizes the idea of um, an arrow falling short of the mark. But the mark is not a moral standard that we were meant to reach. The mark is about purpose. So when in the creation and with Adam and Eve, they were given a purpose to be good stewards of the earth and to, you know, like look after stuff and to go and propagate the, and whatever. And, and when they sinned, they fell short of their purpose to do that. Um, so when sin entered, it broke kind of creation because we were meant to look after creation. So it wasn't a moral standard. It was about falling short of our purpose. And I think we continue to fall short of our purpose. Uh, and not because we, you know, say curse words and do bad things. We fall short of our purpose because we are not living the way that God, like it's a much bigger picture. I don't know, I've done a bad job of explaining it. Uh, but, but I don't think that the idea of a flood being in Houston or a, a, you know, a tsunami or a whatever, that that is just God immediately stepping back to bring about a curse on people. I do think it is the product of sin, though, because I think that in a perfect creation, there wouldn't be those environmental problems. Um, I'm going around in circles now. Um, Verse 20
1: now.
0: Yeah, yeah, just finish it up.
1: Would be carrying the embers around so people could all light their fire. So heating burning coals on their head was, uh, was a little bit like uh, fire stick farming. It was a really important job to carry the embers around to help everyone light their fire. So you'd be turning your enemy from a uh, not-very-nice person into a blessing. That sounds like somebody's tried really hard to make that <laughs> Yeah, to make that nice. <laughs>
0: I think the takeaway though is really clearly, we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. We don't overcome our enemies by destroying them and starving them out and cursing them and heaping coals on them. We overcome evil by service and love and sacrifice. People, governments, whatever, have really persecuted, done done bad stuff to people who everyone can see are actually good people. And in the end, sometimes it's those very persecutors who end up saying, what on earth are we doing? Yeah. This, is, this is ridiculous. These are good people. Um, yeah. And and the, the shame actually pushes them to repentance. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would help us to uh, overcome evil with good you would help us offer ourselves as living sacrifices not just um, in our thinking but lord change our thinking and then change the way we choose to live uh, transform our minds God, i pray that you would help us to change and not just simply stay the same out of some dogma or out of some fear but help us to change to be more like you Help us to embrace uh, a greater level of kindness and compassion. Help us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world or even the pattern of how we were raised or the pattern of the the well-meaning ideas that we've held. But may we be conformed to your purpose and your will and your kingdom. Um, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Um, Sim and Laura have made us a vegan lunch, I believe. So that should be great. Uh, We should be very encouraging and thankful because this is their first time serving us in that way. And And they didn't even even realise that we would pay for it. So they have (laughs) gone way beyond the expectation. So we should be thankful to them.
1: Cool. So we should all just keep that secret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should tell <laughs> them. Messy church
0: next week. Yeah. Camping the following week.
1: Is it your house? Oh yeah.
0: Housewarming. Yeah.
1: If you want to come. Three, three o'clock. o'clock. Three yeah. o'clock.
0: Yeah. Well, you can o'clock if o'clock you really want to. <laughs> but no, Jess just keep thinking it's true. Oh. 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 Ben. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. It's just opposite the end of Spiegel. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. Spiggle. All right, let's do it. Thank you for reading.